We lost a great race car driver on January 30th, 2020, a beloved fundraiser for Riley's Children's Hospital and fierce advocate for colon cancer screening. John Andretti's accomplishments behind the steering wheel were only exceeded by his humanitarian efforts. With an unparalleled life and career to celebrate, I've assembled a podcast feature that makes 16 stops along the way, all told by those who knew him and loved him. His legendary uncle, Mario Andretti, said it best. Try to, to put together how many drivers have driven midgets on dirt, asphalt, sprint cars on dirt, asphalt, sports prototypes, indie cars, stock cars, and top fuel. You tell me who has done all that. No one. No one that I could ever remember. I mean, that I could ever put together. I mean, there's no way there's another one that has done all that. He's alone. He's alone there. In the 11th installment of Remembering John Andretti, we have Brian Herta, who tells us about being a rookie at the Indianapolis 500 in 1994 with the A.J. Foyt Racing Team and having a certain veteran by the name of John Andretti to show him the ropes but by no means make things easy on him. All brought to you in the Marshall Pruitt Podcast by the Justice Brothers, Cooper Tires, TorontoMotorsports.com, and Bell Racing Helmets, USA. The intersection in your career, Brian, with John, pretty interesting noting that you, as an IndyCar rookie in 1994, coincided with having a pretty cool, somewhat veteran teammate uh, joining you at Indianapolis. If you can, share with us where uh, your your first interactions with John Andretti began. At that point, John had just started doing some stock car racing. Uh, and you know, this is prior to him you know, running full-time in the Cup Series. And so I remember you know, opening weekend. So I, I did my rookie test, and opening weekend he wasn't there because I think he was doing a NASCAR race or something. My memory gets a little fuzzy because it's been a few years now. But, sure. But then, as I recall, then AJ AJ was then he showed up on like the Monday, right? We had already run a couple of days, and then I think AJ didn't even let him run for the next couple of days. <laughs> he was just there, um, hanging out. But he was he was a great teammate because, but he's fiercely competitive. So he was he was not going out of his way to help me. Uh, I mean. Always incredibly nice, very friendly. Uh, and if I asked him a question, he would give me an honest answer. But he definitely wasn't pulling me aside saying, hey, Brian, make sure you do this or make sure you don't do that. Because um, he definitely wanted to beat me. And and that's, you know, John's fighting spirit and his competitive nature. I think because it was sort of hidden underneath this layer of just really kind personality, um, maybe didn't some people didn't get a chance to see how fiercely competitive he was wow uh in all that as well um but he was he was a great teammate like i said if i asked him a question he would he would tell me you know everything about it but he would but he wasn't going to ask he wasn't going to volunteer it without the question being asked um and we we got we ended up racing together a little bit during the 500 there which was fun and uh, we really, from then on, we, you know, we always sort of stayed in touch. And when I got hurt uh, at Toronto, like four races later, 
broke my pelvis and <clears throat> and so forth. Uh, John, John, uh, I, I was doing my rehab when I got a hospital. I was doing my rehab in Indianapolis, <clears throat> and John and Nancy had me over for dinner at the house several times. So I didn't really know a lot of people in India at that time. And uh, when he uh, when he ended up getting on pole at Michigan later, that was probably like around August or September time. Uh, you know, he he left me some passes, and I, I I ended up with my my wife now, but with my girlfriend at the time, and and my dad. We drove up from Indy uh, to Michigan and and watched uh, watched him race up there. Wow! Uh, so so you know he was you know he look he helped look after me when I was hurt, which was which I guess as much as anything says a lot about the guy. And then, you know, as things do in life, you can, you know, we were probably less connected for a while. But then when I got more back involved with Michael and his team, and obviously John was around that, and we bonded over having sons who were just starting out wanting to race as well. And, you know, really later on, I think we bonded a lot more on that and our conversations and text messages and interaction with more about how Jared was doing or how Colton was doing. And, you know, we could, we could share little anecdotes and things that, you know, somebody in a similar kind of situation could really relate to and understand. And I think, you know, he had a tremendous source of sense of pride and, you know, Jared and, and what he was doing in, in racing and, you know, it just his whole family, he was always, you know, very much a family guy and, and that's that's always where his heart and you know if you, if you wanted to have a long conversation with John you you know ask him about his family because he he was always very very uh, very eager to talk about that that was his greatest pride. I love the fact, Brian, that you would hope in the kind of Hollywood fictionalized version of things you come into the Indy Five Hundred as a rookie, and here's you know John was not old by any means, but you know he had some five hundreds under his belt for sure, had done well. I love the kind of Hollywood assumption that it was, let me teach you all the tricks, young Brian. But instead, <laughs> no, uh, you're just one of the other 32 drivers I'm trying to beat. Not as if you expected to be just coddled, but what did that do for you just to appreciate, wow, okay, um, I guess my teammates are some of the first ones that I need to beat here as well. <clears throat> I, th- I- yeah, I think he helped cement that for me. Uh, but but he did it in a, in a very typical John way, right? He was very classy. He was very friendly. He was he was never, I'm going to be a jerk to you, or I'm going to be very political within the team and try and screw you over. Never, right? But he wanted to beat me on the track, and he wanted to beat me as bad as anybody else. And he was just very kind of obvious about that, and and when it's all on the table, it, it's easy because you can respect each other. Um, but like I said, when if I did have a question, I, you know, it was like a legitimate, I'm struggling with something, he was definitely willing to help me. He wasn't going to go out of his way unless I had to make the effort. And, and that's how it should have been. You know, two other things stand up, Brian, that might be fun to explore. That 1994 Indy 500, your debut at Indianapolis Motor Speedway was also... I think better known by some for what became the first of doing the double. So your teammate, Mr. Andretti, did 500 miles worth of racing and then decided to attack on 600 more. 
in NASCAR. Do you remember much of that? Do you remember that being a thing as you got to race day, knowing that he would have to probably jump right out of the car and get moving afterwards? Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of hoopla around that, obviously, and it was the first time anybody had done it, you know, and now, you know, several, it's happened several times, but at the time, it was a little bit unheard of in the logistics of, you know, helicopters and and jets and and then back to helicopters and out of, you know, off the helicopter, stayed in the race car again, and, you know, they had a, it was it was a daunting thing, and John was, you know, the right guy to do it because you really, that took a lot of, right. You had to dig deep, right. I I know how I felt at the end of a five hundred mile race, and even though it's those races are not the most physically demanding type of race, um, they're mentally exhausting uh, because of the sustained high speeds and the the concentration you have to maintain and to get out of that and to know sort of that mental exhaustion that he had to be feeling and get straight into traveling. And we all know, you know, even with private travel, traveling is tiring, uh, and get your head on and get in for another 600 miles and bring that same level of intensity again. Uh, that's not something that many guys could pull off. Even even now, and that's why it's only been attempted a, a few different times. Let's close on this, Brian. You were among many on the Andretti team a couple of years ago during practice at the 500 uh, to don the Check It for Andretti uh, In It to Win It t-shirts uh, that not only trying to raise awareness for the hashtag Check It for Andretti cause, but I know also to just show even more support for your old friend and teammate. Obviously, we've lost John. We know the sorrow involved with that, but tell me about what you saw from him during this phase of really trying to make his fight count and help, and also just the willingness, whether it was yourself, your entire team, all the crew and mechanic and otherwise mechanics and whatnot at Andretti Autosport, it was a beautiful thing seeing everyone wearing that blue T-shirt uh, just to help drive home that message. What do you recall from that? Well, you know, I think time time gives you perspective or changes perspective. And at the time, you know, when when Michael and, and the team had those shirts made, you know, I threw it on to show support for John and his fight. And that was really why I wanted to wear it. But I realize now, and as I look back, you know, you look at what John did for Riley's Riley's Children's Hospital, Children's Hospital, and and the volunteer work and the and the fundraising he did around that, and then taking something that is just sort of personally devastating news that you know he's he's you know found diagnosed with colon cancer, and he never once was down publicly. Uh, he fought as hard as anybody I've ever seen fight. And, but he, he said, you know, I, I don't want anybody else to have to go through this. And I want to use this as a platform. He didn't, he didn't just kind of go away. I want to use this as a platform and try and if I can prevent one other person from having go through it, it's worth it. And I have absolutely no doubt that John Andretti has saved lives and with check it for Andretti and, and that, hopefully we can keep that alive and keep that part of his legacy uh, and that it will continue to save lives. 
Thank you for listening to Remembering John Andretti on the Marshall Pruitt Podcast. Brought to you by the Justice Brothers, TorontoMotorsports.com, Bell Racing Helmets USA, and Cooper Tires. If this is your first time listening, more than 900 episodes are available at MarshallPruittPodcast.com. We also have a subscribe page where Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and plenty of other listening options are readily available.